Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest today is John Street, CEO and founder of Pax8, one of the recently minted unicorns in Colorado Tech. Pax8 has created a complete cloud commerce marketplace which aggregates leading solutions for outsourced IT service providers to efficiently manage their clients' cloud operations. And Pax8 isn't John's first rodeo. He started three other companies that have garnered Inc. 500 status, and he's the chairman emeritus of the Colorado Springs Philharmonic, where he was largely credited with turning around the institution from near bankruptcy to the thriving institution it is today. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, would love to hear a little bit about Pax8 to start and kind of what you're up to there and then work our way a little bit backwards and hear about, you know, how you started it and, and got to that point. Sure. So Pax8 is a cloud marketplace. The concept was really not well understood of what we're kind of doing and the world is kind of figuring it out. But the whole premise of Pax8 was that we went through this and it started looking at a new business. My co-founder, Klaus Dimmler, and also Ryan Walsh is a co-founder, but Klaus and I did a lot of work before we ever opened our doors about studying the ecosystem and deciding to start a new business. You know, this is, this is my fourth or fifth significant startup. We were very thoughtful about what we would get into. And my last company was a company called MX Logic, and it was an early SaaS company. It was, a, it was essentially email security. It was an anti-spam company. That company was kind of a niche play. I had a company I started earlier than that was USA Net. We were doing a lot of important things with email, and I, I don't really need to go into that. But we had conceptualized that company with kind of a macro view of the world. It was a big market opportunity. And MX Logic was kind of more opportunistic. But what we did was we tapped into this channel ecosystem and how you sell cloud products. We tapped into this ecosystem, the channel ecosystem, and the whole channel ecosystem was largely dominated by large um, distributors, Ingram Micro, Tech Data, Cynix, which are now merged, Tech Data, Cynix, Arrow, and others. And so we tapped into that, and we were selling mostly to small business. And that uh, ecosystem, the channel ecosystem, there's a very vibrant uh, industry of small MSPs, managed service providers, and this is the outsourced IT shop for small business. So a 30 person law firm really doesn't need an internal dedicated IT guy. They could be much more efficient by hiring a service bureau, an MSP. And so small business across the US largely outsources their IT function to, this, to these MSPs. And so we were selling our SaaS product through these guys and the distribution layer, the Ingram Micros and the Tech Datas, they had you know a very large cadre of MSPs in their channel ecosystem. And so as a vendor, I tapped into that and uh, I really couldn't figure out what the distributor was doing because before I sold through the distribution layer, I was selling direct to the MSP as a SaaS company. It may have worked at larger enterprise, but it certainly didn't work at the small business layer. I, they took a cut of the subscription revenue 
but they didn't really give me any real service. And we were actually their poster child. They ran a, they ran a, a program called Seismic and we were the featured new SaaS company. This was in 2005 timeframe. So we sold MX Logic to McAfee and, and thought we we're going to do one more of these. And we looked at lots of stuff. But in the end, I said to Klaus, we really should fix the distribution ecosystem for this emerging class of SaaS products that are going to be delivered through the cloud. And we've literally been talking about the cloud since 1993. We didn't call it the cloud back then. We called it network layer services. But we kept imagining that you'd really run all the process, all the compute storage, one layer up in the network that little nodes at the end of the network, these little LAN closets, ultimately would have to go away. Now you fast forward to 2011 and Klaus and I are looking at different things that we could go into business. And I said, there's a huge opportunity, Klaus, to fix this distribution layer because you don't distribute anything anymore. But this SaaS product was a new beast. And so we imagined a company where all we did was cloud products. We didn't physically handle any goods. We were not a distributor. We were a cloud marketplace. One of the conversations really went around. I said to Klaus, what I really like to do is create iTunes for cloud apps. And this is not a perfect analogy, but as we all know, these mobile apps are really easy to download. They're really easy to work. The complexity of the cloud is all of these things have to talk to each other through an API layer. So when I said to Klaus, we should be the iTunes for cloud apps, he said, that's impossible. And I said, yeah, maybe. I said, but don't you think somebody's going to do that? And he said, yeah, somebody's going to do it. And I said, well, why don't we do it? And that's really the beginning of PAX 8. And so what we identified right out of the shoot was that we would have very little competition several years out from when we started this thing. Our big competitors, the distributors, they had to rethink their business and take some hit. And they were all public. And to maneuver and to invest in a new layer would, would affect their market cap. So they weren't very willing to kind of move in this direction, and they needed to. But the whole idea was that it really becomes a marketplace. So we started plugging away at this thing. And, and now we really are the emerging market leader in this new fangled concept, cloud marketplaces. John, it's a great, a great story. And obviously, like a lot of founders think, hey, these things go from, hey, founding to unicorn, you know, in a couple of years. And I know that's not always the case, right? And certainly in no. your case, it's, it's, it's been a journey. I'd love to hear just a little bit around your, your take on that and also how it might relate to the Colorado ecosystem. I mean, you've seen as PAX 8 has, has grown into a unicorn, you've seen the Colorado ecosystem since 2011, right? Also, also grow. So I'd love to just kind of hear your, your uh, take on that. Yeah, I, I, I'll take it back even farther than that. I, I'm a Denver native, but I was living in New Mexico. I live in Colorado Springs, but my PAX 8 is in Denver. MX Logic was in Denver. It was impossible to raise money from outside even this region. So in the 90s, Colorado was very much a backwater for the Silicon Valley crowd. We were a lifestyle business. I got told this, why don't you move to California? I was like, why would I move to California? You know, I can hire great people here. And, and I didn't understand sort of the power of the network there. So what I've watched is Colorado itself was a backwater. Colorado Springs is still struggling with it. 
Denver somewhere in the 2005 to 2010 cycle became much more of a mainstream place for national PE VC type companies to invest here. And now it's really considered one of the new hubs. But it was, you know, I, I moved MX Logic to Denver when I started. I said, let's put it in Denver. And we still struggle. But I think that Colorado itself has, especially Denver Boulder Corridor, has really overcome that now. But we're still struggling with it in the springs. It'll get there, too. It's a great place down there, too. But Denver and Boulder have had more startups and have more entrepreneurial people. So one of the companies that I'm kind of interested in is a, is a Colorado Springs startup. It's a quantum metric. It's a unicorn run by Mario Chibara. I don't know if you guys have talked to him, but that's a company worth watching. And of course, I have kind of a more of an interest in it because he's managing to pull this off while being based in Colorado Springs. And, you know, I tried that at USA Net. It was tough. So you can see the investment ecosystem has evolved to, and Colorado is now mainstream. And and we really need to get that um, pushed all over the country. I'm on the Endeavor Colorado board. Endeavor is part of this international organization. And they're really trying to, you know, really focus on backing transformative entrepreneurs. And, and in less developed countries around the world, they do really well. And in the U.S., I think, um, you know, they're they're interested in some of the, you know, the, the markets that they're not, it's not necessarily got to be Boston, you know, Silicon Valley or Austin, you know, they're looking at some of the other places, but um, the, the VC ecosystem is very vibrant and, and it's a really mature industry in the U.S. now. John, would love to now jump in and hear about your biggest lesson over building, you know, multiple companies and now with PAX8, I'm sure that you've learned multiple lessons over that time period, but we'd love to hear what your biggest lesson is, how you learned it, and how you put it into practice today. I knew you guys, of course, you've set me up to talk about this, and and it's really hard for me to isolate it to one. I'm now 66 years old. I've, I've been a CEO since I was 29, so I like to think I've gotten better over the years. So from a life experience, the greatest lesson learned is from my mentor back in my late 20s, early 30s, he's told me, he said, John, your biggest problem is you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't really understand that until I was probably in my mid-40s and had some failure. You know, I, I had really good success right out of the chute. And, you know, I thought I knew how to do everything. And And the farther I got in, and even now, I mean, I come into every situation now much more open to hear things I don't know. And and I, I do know more than I used to, but I'm also very cognizant of things I don't know. So that's a big lesson. But I would tell you from a standpoint of, of startup founders and the kind of people that are in the audience listening, you really have to play a chess game in how you capitalize your company. The financial engineering of a startup, part of the reason my early USA Net was my first promoted company, I did not know how to capitalize it. The concept was great. We're the guys who actually invented web-based email. You'd never know that. But we had that whole concept figured out, and we were doing it as a paid service. And about a year after we started, and we had about 20,000 subscribed users, this crazy little company called Hotmail came along and gave it away. That kind of killed our business model. So we did learn a really quick lesson that when somebody completely screws up your business model, 
it doesn't help you to sit around for about three months and wring your hands and say, you know, what am I going to do about that? You better pivot as fast as you can. But the real thing about the capitalization, the big lesson learned is you really have to plan three or four moves ahead. I mean, if there's one thing I've really gotten right at PAX 8 is, is the capitalization. We're in terrific shape financially. A company that we see our future as being a 30 to $50 billion market cap company, it has that much upside because the real star of the show is the total addressable market. The cloud industry is huge. We don't have to be a dominant player. We have the transaction engine we're building to orchestrate the API ecosystem to push all of this stuff out to our, our constituency is just an enormous upside. But the capitalization of how you have to build the company is really critical. And it isn't just one step. So what I, I did this early on, I got my A round money and I was like, okay. And somebody said to me then, you should be working on your B round money. It was like, I just got the A money. And I didn't, in the, and the guy turned out to be absolutely right. I should have been working on the B round right away. So, and, and PAX 8 was just an amazing capitalization ride. It was, it was tough. We almost gave up a couple times, but we kept our eye on the ball. And that is the actual financial model is killer good once you get to scale. And so you have to imagine all the process you have to put into the company to make it work, to make it scale. And you can financially model and you can do it with discipline, but it makes you, as you're reading it, if, if you have a financial mind, it makes you understand all the things you have to do. And it gets you disciplined around how you work the math. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters really in the business is, is the math going to work? And I've seen so many people that don't really think that through, but I've never seen a business that you can't get to work on paper that can work. It, you got to figure that out first. And that's part of the capitalization strategy. You got to be thoughtful about how you're going to raise capital. It's as important. Your financial engineering is as important as your technical engineering of your product. It's equally as important. The biggest failure in business is to be undercapitalized. You know, the highway's littered with the guys who didn't get it capitalized, right? And they had to sell out or they had a bad outcome. So I would encourage anybody, and I learned this, this is what we did with PAX 8, is we understood what the potential was, what were the steps we had to do to get there. And the timing isn't going to be everything. The, excuse me, I, I should say that the other way around. The way you plan it in your financial models, the timing is never going to work out. So you have to flex the model as you go. But you still have to have a basic roadmap of where you're trying to head. John, I actually love the, the, the lesson within that, I think. I think you said it around the business can work on paper and might not work in, in reality. But if it doesn't work on paper, there's no chance, right? So that is an incredible lesson, particularly in this environment where you've seen a lot of businesses that didn't work on paper in a traditional, you know, unit economic or, you know, God forbid, profit sense the last couple of years, right, are finally that, that did work in public markets as SPACs or with, you know, late stage Tiger Global financings or whatnot are now really in trouble. I think that basic lesson that you just said is one that's critically important to remember. And one of the things, I mean, just at Pax8 itself, our, our model is pretty aggressive. 
And, and there is still a lot of healthy discussion among my investors of how profitable can this thing really get? You know, because we've been in hyper growth mode just like everybody else. Yeah. And we're still, you know, we're losing money, but we, we have, you know, cash that lasts us four years. So we have a lot of upside potential. They, they'd like to see how, how profitable can I get it? Are we ever going to really turn the corner and be really profitable? And of course, being the optimistic founder and CEO that I am, of course we are, you know, <laughs> I like them challenging me on that. And, and I know they believe me that I'm going to, you know, it does get really profitable. We're, we're closing the gap now. We've, we've sort of hit our nadir and, and money loss and we're turning around the other way while we're growing through it. And you could see that path, but um, there has been this just, you know, push for unbridled growth, which all came to a screeching halt, you know, early to 2022. So you had this big market correction. Fortunately, we were paying attention and we, we loaded up on capital. We did 185 million round led by SoftBank in March. And we kind of got the 2021 valuation. So we didn't get the, the push down valuation. But immediately after we close on this financing, the public markets were really declining. And so there's a lot of healthy discussion internally that maybe we're not really at the value we were at the time we got the financing, but we'll quickly make it up some. And the market will come back some. Will it ever be at the same rosy level it was in summer of 21? Yeah, I think it will. But I, you know, I, even if it isn't, we're still in great shape because our valuation is going to continue to go north and the growth still matters. We're watching, we expect it to be impacted by the macroeconomic conditions, but this past quarter, we had we had a re another record quarter. We expect it to be, you know, first quarter this year, we expect it to be another record quarter. And, you know, we're projecting, I think, 60% growth this year in a down economy, but we're prepared for, if there is a true slowing down, to adjust how we're hiring people and moving forward if it's 30 or 20% growth. We don't see any kind of decline happening. I think it's just it's just too big a mark. So it's it's interesting to navigate through it. No, that's great. Sounds like you're in great position and, and that just comes with experience, right? I think both the financial lens that you have and the experience is what sets you up to do that. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners follow um, what you're up to with, with PAX8? Well, I think we have a pretty vibrant, I think a lot of people follow us through LinkedIn. You know, our website obviously is pax8.com. I have a wonderful marketing department. I'm not so good at all the social media, but they're, they're doing a good job of getting us lots of exposure out there. Thanks so much, John. 